Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. We have a very special guest today, Travis Frick, the owner and co-founder of Dream Escape Gaming in the Duke. Travis founded Dream Escape in September of 2017, and their store is one key pillar for our Alberta fab community, especially for our friends up north. Dream Escape is a very unique LGS that started as an escape room, but now offers a full selection of LGS staples of board games and card games. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, yeah, thanks for having me on. Before we talk about Dream Escape and the business, can you give us a little bit, a little elevator pitch about yourself and what got you into gaming and escape rooms? Big fan of puzzles, uh, strategy games growing up, both online or offline. And also was just looking for an opportunity to, to uh, start a small business and open up something on my own. So before you opened up uh, Dream Escape, did you have uh, a background in gaming or what, were you had a, another job? I actually worked as a uh, primary care paramedic on an ambulance for about five years before opening up the business. And the plan was actually to open the business and go back to working on the ambulance. I had only left on a kind of a long-term leave. Uh, but once we had opened up, it kind of felt like I needed to stay and be a little bit more hands-on. So ended up uh, just kind of stepping back from the ambulance. So was the I guess the original goal was to... Um, still have the business, but go back to your life um, as a paramedic and thinking that the, I guess the business was going to maintain itself or did you have a, a partner that was going to spearhead it at that time? Um, yeah. The plan was to, yeah, basically launch, kind of get some like operating guidelines and procedures and stuff in place to start hiring and train up some people. But between just, the budget I'm trying to scale out like a salary or paying employees and wanting to work out the kinks of like, not just the rooms, but the day to day, uh, you know, bookings and, uh, the operations of the business. I just felt like I had to be kind of right there. So. Okay, cool. So are you a gamer by nature? Do you prefer board games or video games? You mentioned puzzles. When I was younger, yeah, I grew up playing with just like every system, starting with just the base Nintendo, then moving up to Sega and PlayStation, not really keeping with any one brand, kind of just jumped around to whatever. It wasn't until probably early adult that I decided to like found, and of course, just like everybody, Catan. And Catan was kind of, again, the gateway to get into more of the tabletop. and. Yeah. That kind of became the more primary. I kind of gave up on consoles and playing to, I just felt it was more social to meet up and play in person. So do you keep that joy of playing now that you've been in business um, around games for what is it, six years or, or so? Like yeah. is gaming still something that excites you and motivates you or is it something that's more of a dollars and cents thing at this point? Uh, so I definitely get excited when I see new games coming out that, and when I kind of do research on them, cause it's, I can't keep up with playing them. I get customers asking me if I played them and it's just, I think the hobby, even since when I got into it has exploded to the point where there's just so much, so much coming out that mm -hmm. I, I just can't keep up with it. But when I, I try to do a little bit of reading as much as I can on anything that we bring in. Uh, like the biggest one that's on my radar right now is Dune Imperium. It's uh, like a deck building worker placement, which are two big mechanics that I'm a fan of. But it's with the business, 
the issue now is finding the time outside of work to meet up and get those games in. Well, uh, let's talk about Dream Escape a little bit. And Dream Escape is a very, very unique store. And I, I want to talk about the unique part uh, more before we start delving into cards and cardboard and all of that. And that's the escape room. Like, how did you come up with the concept of starting an escape room of all businesses out there? Just after playing one, I I loved it. And after my first one, I just ended up like that week probably playing like five more just to i don't know i just was obsessing about it and then out of boredom kind of uh because the way i worked rural ems uh so we work around the clock 24 hours out at a base and there's some downtime and with the downtime i kind of just started playing around with the idea of like i could make an escape room and just in mm. word document i kind of made a flow like a really rough flow chart of uh this puzzle leads to this puzzle and what would the theme of the room be how would i theme it what would i how could i use the theme in the puzzles eventually i just had it started with two rooms that i basically had fully fleshed out in just a word document again step by step but looking back at it it seems like a lot of work and a lot of stuff had to happen and go right and meeting up with realtors about lease and kind of feeling like I'm wasting their time, not thinking this will ever happen, but, and then one day getting approved for it and then thinking like, okay, well, this accidentally is actually going to happen. Wow. No, that's, that's really cool. And just try to explain this to me in simple terms, because I'm not too familiar with escape rooms, but is it uncommon for someone to design their own escape rooms from scratch like you described i i always figured and the way that i've heard other escape room entrepreneurs uh describe it is there's kits that you can buy with like pre-made puzzles and all that like i'm not sure which one is more common or or not in the industry i can't say for certain which one's more common but when i'm familiar with kind of what's out there and what's available and so if i go to another escape room and i say like i can see props that i know where they got them from or entire rooms because you can also just buy props and you can buy full just turnkey escape rooms you just provide the space and they'll drop it off with everything you need um those do exist and i i know some places use them and i but i know other places as well have their own design team uh for me it was very family oriented i would do the word document i would tell my wife mother-in-law and um mom like this is kind of the theme i want to go for and then they got me i never used it before uh, but pinterest they would they had me go on pinterest and they made a wall for all the rooms and then they would send all the designs and themes and colors that they want to use and so got me using Pinterest and then they uh I'd kind of be like yeah this is what we're going for go nuts and they would I'd kind of tell them what I envisioned and they would uh do all the design and then me and my dad would do a lot of the woodwork for everything in the room for actually building the props I was lucky enough to have at my disposal just a lot of crafty people to uh kind of cut some of those costs being that we yeah did it all kind of ourselves so how has the escape room industry changed in the last few years, or I guess in the last six years since you got in, into business? 
when I was opening up, there were a lot of escape rooms opening up. I th- like I don't know the exact count in Edmonton. We have fortunately remained the only one in Edmonton, but in M- or sorry, only one in Leduc. But in Edmonton, I think they were getting you know over a dozen. What happened recently with COVID though has really kind of called, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of that. They're coming out of COVID. There were quite a few less escape rooms in the city. Yeah, that. That that makes sense. Um, and how have you adapted to to be able to survive when many of those other stores weren't able to? For us in particular, I think just having very like where it's just kind of me every day really helped. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have a, a group of employees that I had to try to deal with or lay off or anything like that. We kind of adapted by cutting hours quite heavily. I ended up kind of picking up a, a another job and if that job ran late i'd just have to kind of sacrifice the uh the hours at the escape room or have a family member sit at the desk we've always ran it where it was basically just me at the store so having that be controlled i guess was helpful and then i i'm really the only escape room i can think of that has the front end so in covid when we couldn't run the rooms we're at least able to operate as purely a retail place. And that's, um, I mean, that's a really good transition into our next topic. But before I, I take us there, this is a lot of pressure that you put on yourself to be the one-man show, just carrying the, the load for the entire business through good times and through COVID and, and other um, upset conditions, I guess you could say. Like, is that something that you enjoy being the owner working for yourself, being the head of a one-man shop and all of that, is is that something that, that appeals to you? I, I definitely, yeah, there's definitely some goods and, you know, not so good things. Uh, it's kind of funny, a lot of the regulars almost get shocked if I'm not behind the desk when they walk in. I get like, in the past, in, in a pinch, I've had my sister go and just to kind of sit at the desk. She She knows how to run the rooms and run the till at least she doesn't really know too much about the she can't really help too much with like the card aspect of that stuff but uh she always reports that like the customers walked in and walk in and are you know shocked and always asking where i'm at uh so i really like being kind of the face and the point of contact uh with everything so that being said uh this is actually the year where i've actually focused on trying to get out of the store more often um, so we've hired Ethan, who's been a kind of a mainstay around the shop for years. Uh, yeah. And so he's been cutting me a break here lately this summer. Nice. Dream Escape to me sounds like it embodies the true nature of a family business. You know, you have your mom and your mother-in-law helping build stuff and your father, and then you have family sitting in when you can't get there. Yeah. So true true embodiment of what a family is what it takes to run a small business and the effort that gets put in that people don't necessarily see um i've never seen anybody in the store other than you not that i go there a lot but you know like i i understand that statement so yeah um moving on so you kind of touched on it you have a retail front what was the you know the the drive to eventually open up um a retail side for the dream escape uh, so when we were opening, we got keys to the location in May 
and then we had to start doing construction. And the whole time we were just thinking this was going to be an escape room. And there was actually a board game store in Leduc at the time who uh, they actually ended up closing down right as we opened our doors as an escape room. So then there was no board game store in Leduc. And so I just kind of figured with the way our entranceway is laid out, for those who've been there, it's kind of just the escape rooms are kind of wrapping around other businesses in the back of our kind of location. So there's kind of a long, wide hallway. And in the beginning, I just decided to, well, I'm, I'm really big into the hobby. So I will kind of try to fill that void. And and looking back at what we, what I, how we started is kind (laughs) of, it's almost kind of like silly to look how we started because we started at such a low amount. We didn't have any shelving or anything. So we just started with a table in the front room with games on it. And I remember customers kind of walking in when we advertised board games and they would make comments like, well, I have more board games in my house than you do on your shelf. And that's kind of just the slow grow that we had. Every game that I sold, I just reinvested into getting more games, more shelving, more games, more shelving. Well, it sounds like an intelligent way to do it. You didn't overextend yourself when you didn't need to. You don't know necessarily what the outcome of trying something new is going to be. So it kind of sounds like a good way to go about it. We hear that it's difficult to make a business out of being in an LGS. Has the income from the retail side helped shape the business or or been advantageous for you? Very much so. The... uh... The escape room business is very comparable to uh, like the movie theater business where it's very much like a Friday night weekend type thing. So that's our busy period is Friday and Saturday nights, essentially. So running the escape rooms during the week before we started doing that, like it was just dead. I'd just be sitting behind the desk playing Dota, basically. Uh, And so when we started carrying that and... At the time, to be honest, I wasn't into trading card games. I was just into board games. So that's all we had. We had board games. It wasn't until we just had customers or a customer who still comes and plays in the store today that basically told me like, hey, with the closing of that other store, we don't have anywhere to go. Would you ever consider? And it was Magic the Gathering at the time, uh, carrying Magic the Gathering. So I just basically... With a lot of what I do, I just kind of listen to what the customers and what I'm hearing from the community. So was it easy for you to make the decision to start carrying retail products like Magic the Gathering and board games? Or was it something that you had to really think about whether or not it was worth bringing? Because you you hear a few people mention it. So is one or two or five people mentioning it worth investing your business into that side of things? The board game was easy because I was right on the pulse i kind of felt like i knew what was hot what was going on so bringing in the board games wasn't so much a tough decision like i said we kind of did it slowly but with the magic as a, a young teen i was really into magic so i had an idea of what i was getting into and i was that one i definitely sat on for a while and waited to pull the trigger and again i I hemmed and hawed and I actually made a post in uh, like a Leduc board game Facebook group to just get more information of what like an LGS 
would want to like what someone what a player in the community would expect an LGS to do uh, when it comes to events and products and stuff like that. Uh, like Commander is huge these days. When I played, Commander wasn't a thing, so I didn't even know what Commander was. Uh, so I definitely had a lot of help from the community to kind of guide me on if you're going to do it, this is what this is what you should do. Okay, nice. And it worked out or is working out for you to have that so help far, from the community? So, so far, so good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a big step to trust people you don't necessarily know on their opinion on how you as a store owner should, um, you know, run events and look into. So, like, you know, it's a big leap of trust on both sides. Uh, so, I, Yeah, no, you definitely take a, a couple opinions before making a decision. Yeah. So as a traditional brick and mortar store, do you feel like you're at a disadvantage compared to online stores that sell retail products like Magic the Gathering or board games? I think so far we're kind of lucky in Canada that Amazon, for whatever reason, doesn't deal with TCGs or board games to the extent is what I, I see online or you know talking to people on forums and stuff like that. They have basically the full catalog in, let's say, like United States. Whereas in Canada, you can look up a lot of even what you've considered mainstay board games and they're not, you might find them on Amazon, but they're not like a prime. They're not stocked and shipped by Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that kind of right now in Canada is kind of helpful compared to some of like the big online stores. Yeah. It's difficult because they're, their pricing is almost unmatchable. I think for a brick and mortar, they're definitely looking at just pure, uh, quantities going out the door and I've heard from just talking to other store owners like some of these websites like one of the websites controls again this is just here what I've been told almost 40% of like board game sales throughout Canada so the amount that they're moving that's got to be why they're pricing that low but I don't see a brick and mortar matching that and being successful for yeah. their price and I'm not saying you know they have to jump leaps and bounds above it but uh there's definitely some pricing that i just don't think can be reasonably matched yeah when i had the board game cafe when we were talking to di distributors none of the distributors that we found would even sell to a an online store unless they were brick and mortar and you actually had to prove that you had a storefront and a retail otherwise they wouldn't sell you does that still hold true to this day? Do you know? Like, maybe that's one of the things that's kind of helping the the local stores survive, I guess, in, in an, a cheap online world, is that maybe the distributors are actually helping? I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, you're right. They You still have to basically provide, like, uh, I had to make a, a video to show that I'm a store, walk it through the parking lot to the back room, um, and then actually just provide legal like lease documents and, and government of Alberta business documents to the distributors for brick and mortar. Um, so that's why like, I, with those major websites, the name is different, but I, again, I, this is not info that I have, but I would assume that there's a brick and mortar underlier to that business. 
Yeah, I sometimes wonder if it's something that's super small that has basically very little square footage that is the cheapest rent that they can find in an industrial, you know, area that they're, you know, get like a thousand square feet and that's good enough. Almost like a front. Uh, well, I know that there was a store in my area that was kind of doing that and they were forced into getting a brick and mortar. Well, from Dream Escape's perspective, I'm curious about what keeps the lights on and keeps your business running on a day-to-day basis. You've described the board game part of your business, as well as the card side, as well as the escape room. And there's, I'm sure, other things that you sell, like your typical gaming accessories, dice, sleeves, deck boxes, and snacks as well. I guess if you were just to carve out the whole pie into different slices for your store, what what would the biggest slices be? I think it would still be the escape room, but it would definitely, the size of the pie uh, cutouts would definitely change based on the season. So in the summer, escape rooms, like it's been consistent over the five years we've been open, we pretty much peter right off. Like we, instead of having, let's say 11 bookings on a Saturday, we might get two or three on like a July Saturday compared to a November Saturday. And that's kind of where the front end retail picks up. Like we just had a release of uh dust till dawn. I mean, that really helps happening in July with the other TCGs and board games releasing and still hosting events. And during the summer it helps keep just kind of feet in the door. Okay. No, that's that's really helpful information. And I guess if, if we were just to set aside the escape room portions, because many of our listeners, they, they're not lucky enough to have an escape or dream escape uh, in their in their local communities with the combined uh combined escape room and LGS uh experience there. I guess among the major product lines, is it still the big three card games that drive the vast majority of sales um if you look at you know the big three card games versus something like board games or flesh and blood or sleeves or chocolate bars that's just something that we hear get you know posted around social media that the big three are huge and everything else is a little blip is that true or is that i guess what are your thoughts on that for us it would not be true and so I don't know if I just haven't tapped into the market in my five years of being uh, around, but it wasn't until after COVID that we kind of pulled the trigger to start launching into the other ones. We were almost just a pure magic, like just board games and magic, the gathering. We didn't touch Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh. It wasn't until after COVID we started carrying the other two. And then it's kind of been a back and forth war of trying to get people to realize, because <laughs> like I've told People, it's like I just spent the last, uh, at the time, let's say four years telling people that we don't have Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh! Now I have to try to gather them back, uh, let them know I have it. So for us, Yu Gi Oh! has actually been probably one of the weaker ones that we've had to the point where I've really scaled that one back. I've just, I've tried to do some big pushes to run events and, uh, you know, get, we are a Konami store, so I did have a lot of promos and stuff to give away. But after a couple of successful events, it just it went back, petered back out. And uh, with Pokemon, we've never ran a Pokemon event. Um, 
Yeah, the other two we just seem to be fighting to try to get people to know that we have Pokemon. So uh, <laughs> I know it seems like I'm pandering because I'm on a Flesh and Blood podcast, but actually for us, Flesh and Blood is probably bigger. Well, I, not probably. I know for sure it's bigger to us than Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Probably combined. Wow. It shouldn't be pandering if it's true. I mean, I'm sure we're we're both happy to to hear that. Um, but I, I am also curious about if you're able to share something about even something like your margin or how happy are you to to move boxes or or booster packs of something like Flesh and Blood versus something like Magic. Like, is Magic also something that's driven by volume because there is more competition, there's online sellers, there could be people buying from Amazon and all of that? Yeah, so with Magic being around for so long, I find that there's so much competition. It's not just it's not just like the Walmarts and the EB games that you're competing against. Being so close to Edmonton, we are still, you know, competing with the Edmonton stores. And it can just be a race to the bottom amongst stores. I've seen posts on facebook where you know just a player asks who has the cheapest box and i can see act like store owners replying to the post basically just undercutting each other down to the bottom and that can be it just leads to very poor margins basically if you want to remain competitive and try to keep moving boxes so Flesh and Blood has an MAP policy that's in place in North America. Does something like that help, do you think, a, a retailer like yourself? And I understand um, other product lines like Magic have gone the other way and have even done away with MSRP. So I, I guess two different approaches to, to tackling this. Like, what, what are your thoughts on, on Flesh and Blood's approach compared to, to some others? Uh, having the map there... I think is uh, very ha- like helpful to other stores. There is kind of just who knows what would happen if it wasn't there. I think in the end, I'd rather have the map, but basically with any release, and I'm not sure what happens in Calgary, but you can just basically ex- expect that every store, and again, if you want to stay competitive, is just going to be advertising the map. Like the MR- no store, I don't think is going to sell at MRSP every, there's too many stores that are just going to jump like right off the bat. Pre-orders are going to be map that if you're a store trying to make a, like a higher margin and sell closer MRSP, you're just not going to get pre-orders. It's kind of what I think. But that being said, if the map wasn't there, then you could again have just this race to the bottom that would be endless. So overall, I think that the map's a good thing. Got it. And uh... Have you seen other companies experiment with things like a map in place? Like for someone like myself, not being savvy to the retailer side of the business, I'm always wary about, you know, certain bad actors trying to circumvent um, the map one way or another. I guess from your experience, having been a store owner for many years, have other games or other products tried putting these policies in place and were they successful? For what we sell in store, I don't, I can't think of anywhere else. The MRSP for Magic the Gathering was already abolished before I even became a thing like that. So I never really experienced a time where it had a had controlled pricing. But when it comes to the board games, it's basically here's what you buy it for, and this is the release date. Uh, some play some board games have a 
exclusive rights to what, who get, gets to sell on eBay and Amazon. Other than that, there doesn't seem to be any other uh, rules in place for pricing. Are there any high higher margin like products versus others? I, I don't have any insight into distributor pricing, but one thing that I hear people say online quite a bit is, hey, if you want to support your LGS uh, from a you know bang for your buck perspective, maybe try buying some chocolate bars or buy your sleeves. <laughs> or And I, I'm not sure how true that is or, or isn't. I mean, are, are certain products just higher margin? You can get away with... Um, you know, take, taking more margin versus something like boxes or booster packs where there could be a lot of that competition and pressure to, to sell at map? Yeah, if you're going purely by a percentage base, then it would probably be like a bottle of water. Just even if they're charging a dollar, you yeah. know, the just purely percentage base, but dollar value, then it starts getting into the more expensive stuff. So even though the percentage is a lot less, like for Magic the Gathering, for me to just try to compete in the area, I think we're st- like hovering just over 20%, which like you just said yourself, uh, not too savvy with what other industries are doing for markup and such. So I can see what I'm doing and I kind of have an idea of what other stores are doing just based on assuming that we have the same kind of distributor. Uh, but when it comes to a totally different industry. I don't know if LGSs or TCGs and board games are like way behind or on par. I hear I hear uh, like phrases used called keystone markup, where basically if you buy it for a dollar, expect to sell it for double. So you're looking, you're buying for a dollar and looking to sell for two. Mm-hmm. I don't think we make keystone on like keystone markup on anything except for probably the the chocolate bars and the the pop. Uh, after that, it's just kind of like for a board game. Again, just trying to stay competitive in the area. We're probably looking at if you know. I hope that if I can buy one and sell one, I pay for half of the next one essentially. Whereas I know from just reading online and not not being in the other industries. Uh, a lot of people talk about trying to pay for a full second version. So if you buy one, you're paying off the second one. And uh, I, that doesn't seem to exist in uh, what we're doing. I guess I have a follow-up question to sort of margins. And we're going to jump into fab content soon here. So what is your philosophy, I guess, or thoughts surrounding um prices for armories or skirmish events or pre-releases is it something that you're trying to make money on as a store or are you trying to use it as um, we've heard people refer to as sort of like marketing costs um, so they don't care necessarily about whether or not the event makes money as opposed to getting your name out there that you're you're holding these events and you have products to sell for games like fab or for magic the gathering yeah this has been a kind of a topic i know that I've uh, discussed with before, even in the Alberta Fab chat there. Um, For the most part, the armories are almost neutral. I think for me, almost, again, a lot of this uh, is basically just what, like my opinion or what I have found to work for us. So I don't really know too much what other owners or how they think about doing it. But you just, you run it as kind of like basically breaking even and my idea is that you're getting the players in the store 
Uh, hopefully they're buying other stuff and mm-hmm. on come release time, hopefully you're the store they choose to put their pre-order in with. Right. Um, that being said, uh, I know there there is also just like, for instance, you're trying to run an event. Uh, it's like, let's say the bigger events, there are some organizing that goes into play. There's like the judge costs that, hopefully players remember that we're tr- mm-hmm. trying to sort into the price. And then the other thing, and I guess this is kind of uh, just like a question I posed in the discord is when stores, let's say they have an event that is bigger than what their, their capacity is. So they have to rent a venue. A lot of players are okay with paying the extra price, knowing that the store had to uh, rent a venue to host Mm -hmm. the event that being said what like if a store took a section of their business out to host events shouldn't that store also see a benefit of providing and having the space there for when the events come up to be able to host it without having to uh look to like look to rent a venue yeah that's an excellent question and Everyone has to remember that having a nice space, a clean space, you know, with good ventilation, washrooms and, and all that, none of that comes free. So it's a, it's an excellent point that, that everyone should, uh, should remember. It, it's something I like to talk about um, whenever a store has to defend their position or feels like they should, like players, players are cheap. Like in, in in any hobby, people try to access it as cheap as they can because money doesn't grow on trees and we can't just pluck it. So I understand where people come from. And I, I like to, as a former business owner, I like to point out to people when I can that when that there is more to the event than what you as a consumer see. And Travis did a great job explaining all the, the little things and nuances that go in into it. Um, and I find that sometimes player bases need to be reminded that there is more than you're seeing that went into this, like you said, like judge costs, or if you were going to rent a venue, do you want to pull, do you pull your player base? Is this something that you guys want so that, you know, we can only hold X people and we know we're going to go above that, but your entry is going to go up by $10. Is everybody okay with that or whatever the, the margin is, right? Um, and I do find that as a, as an owner, you get a bit more, leniency or respect from the player base that like they don't judge you as harshly they're like well i paid 50 dollars and all i got was five packs well you know the the a, a business can't typically run on a negative deficit um and especially like smaller stores too that they don't necessarily have tons of free-flowing capital to you know just help you out because they're a nice guy so i do like that you were very candid with your answer and i i do want people to kind of think about things like that when when they're assessing of what the value of an event is worth. Um, Cause you might not see everything that uh, is going on for a store. And most of the time, I think that a lot of our, our stores here locally are not hosing their players and they're, they're doing the best that they can to offer um, a great product and a great event at a reasonable price. I, so f- I think that it's a lot of just uh, respect and honesty going both ways. And I think players can see when I'm doing my best to make it as worthwhile as possible. And so I, th- 
I mean, I like to think that there's almost, there's a trust that goes back and forth. And like I said, like we've discussed, I'm the guy who's there most often. So I've become kind of the face of the business of dream escape. So for us anyways, uh, you know, I do kind of like to protect that a little bit where if you're coming to dream escape, you know, that I am doing my best to, you know, make it worth your while, or at least, uh, for everything that comes in, I'm doing my best to make it you know, rewarding to come and play or shop at Dream Escape. I would like to point out to our listeners that you're one of the two most active stores in our Discord. I don't know if this is like your personality or a philosophy, but do you think that your involvement in a in a non I guess sales way uh, in the community does, do you think that helps garner that um, respect, and do you think that helps? give uh does that make it more comfortable for you to come out and sort of i guess talk about stuff like hey uh, we're just trying to do the best we can and have that conversation that two-way conversation with the community because i know some stores we don't hear anything about them and we don't know why they're doing things and it's they don't owe us that um as a community but uh, again i i think it's a, a a nice service to provide to the community to say to give a little context into what it is that's happening and why things the way they are. Do you think so anyway? So I guess my question is, do you think that your relationship with the community um, helps that? Or do you think it's just a personality thing? You would be doing it, you know, whether or not you were you know, in the discord as much as you are. I, I like to think that it helps it. I think it helps make me more approachable. I mean, I have, <laughs> I haven't really done a great job of separating myself from the business like the the discord that i use in alberta fab and for dream escape is basically just a re-nicknamed version of my own personal account so right uh yeah i mean i, I yeah and i talked basically yeah, like you said i try to talk openly and i try to have discussions with people like i mentioned that whole uh conversation about renting venues is a discussion i had in general chat with people so uh i'm open to the discussion and i always like to have the chat and i think that it can happen without anyone thinking that i'm uh fighting the fight for the lgs owners against the <laughs> against the players i just like to try to have a discourse and for people can kind of hopefully see the, both sides of things guess just to expand a little bit on some of shay's questions there wouldn't it just be easier and this is a devil's advocate question but wouldn't it just be easier to move product and not have to deal with players at all <laughs> that'd be boring are are you bored as a small business owner that's in charge of the whole thing and only, uh, only employee behind the register though um you're saying like if we didn't host events we just carried fab and just hoped that players came in and bought the product and left type thing is that kind of what you're yeah i'm, I'm just curious like is there another motivation besides i guess you say from a financial perspective you just break even on the events and sometimes players are understanding sometimes they're a little less understanding if the entry fee to something like a skirmish or pro quest has to be a little bit higher like there must be another motivation besides just if you dollars right <laughs> or maybe maybe uh, very not. often I I, tell me I, about it. if you get a tcg player near tcg packs 
they tend to want to open those packs. So Mm -hmm. there is just something about getting them into the building and they're going to like, again, it's a support thing, but yeah, you host the events and I do, I know in the notes it talked about residual sales. I do think it's worth the residual sales. They come in, uh, some of our magic commander players like to joke around that it's the weekly tithe for dream escape to come and, (laughs) and buy product for commander night. So, um, yeah. I, it's. I think it's worth having the events just to have players come and play. And I actually, and like I take, uh, I take a little bit of pride being able to host like uh, the events. I thought it was pretty cool, and we got our first like pro quest with Fab. Like that's, we ran Magic like I said for like four years before we even jumped off into any other TCG, and we didn't run anything close to that. And then now with Flesh and Blood, we're running like Road to Nationals and Pro Quests. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, and I guess my last question about in-person play is, are are you aware or... It, I, I know Flesh and Blood, sometimes they allocate different products or things like the buy a box promos based on the organized play um, attendance for for armories and that kind of stuff and of course that's also how they allocate their skirmishes and tier two events and up but is that true for other games as well is that another incentive to to run organized play or does that not really factor in uh for for your store for flesh and blood yeah the buy box promo was a new thing with dust of dawn but just with more experience with magic it's not so much the uh, the normal product, like the day-to-day set boosters and draft. It's when the, you know, all, ultra sought-after collection packs or Phyrexian bundles come out is when it kind of weighs into how much you're supporting the game, how much product you're moving and stuff like that. So those gift bundles and collector bundles and stuff where they're actually, the margins increase just because the demand heavily outweighs the supply. Uh, that's where we get kind of kind of measured for how much we're doing i guess okay that's interesting so magic also supports uh stores that support in-store play by allocating those uh those special products as well then yeah like pre-release kits for sure they can see how much you're doing for in-store play so you only get so many pre-release kits uh come pre-release time based on those metrics Based on your experience with both Magic and Flesh and Blood now, do you feel like LSS is providing appropriate support and incentives for being a store like yourself that really drives that in-person play? Or or do, do you feel like something like Magic does it better uh, with the system that, that you described? Uh, I think LSS is doing a great job with the armory kits. And I know uh, there's always kind of with the higher <laughs> higher events, there's been some disappointment lately with which cards they choose to cold foil for first per, uh, first <laughs> prize. But uh, for like week to week events with the armory, I yeah, the uh, I'm a big fan of the armory kits, the play mats. It's interesting just how sought after some of those promos end up being in the community. That I think that they're doing a fantastic job of driving in store play. I mean, for me being out in Leduc, I don't know how many players would make the effort to drive 
south, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes for some of our regular players. If it wasn't for not just the armory kits, but the whole XP system that Fab has in place, uh, I think has been, has done uh, wonders for kind of an outlying store like myself. You mentioned earlier in the podcast that you were primarily magic when you first got into retail. Can you share with us how or why or what catapulted you into picking up Fab? Uh, Once again, just listening to the community. I was actually pretty hesitant about doing it and kind of pushed back on it for a while, which I regret it because I think if I got in when I was first told about it, I could have got like from first edition Arcane Rising. But uh, with COVID happening, like Magic, we couldn't run in-store events at the time. Mm-hmm. Magic sales were way down. We were, I mean, I picked up a second full-time job basically, and we weren't sure. I wasn't sure if we were making it out of COVID. The last thing that was really on the radar was to start promoting and pushing a whole nother trading card game that had just started up. So I was very hesitant against it. And as as time went on, I guess, I just decided to give it a shot after chatting again with just, uh, there was a few players in the community a big one actually was uh hugh was one of the original people to actually uh kind of put it in my ear to start trying to get it in nice with conversations that i've had with store owners in the past being i guess burnt on flash in the pan games that have come out how likely are you to look at um new products in the future maybe stuff like grand archive or what other games that come out is you you sound like you have a positive uh, interaction with flesh and blood. Um, so does that carry forward to new games or are you still maybe skeptical like some more experienced game owners might be? I'm probably on the more skeptical side still. I still think that there's just so many TCGs. Like we did bring in MetaZoo for a little while. Uh, and I know that they're still coming out with sets and stuff, but I eventually just decided to bow out of it um i feel like i'm always coming in right after like (laughs) the alpha set launches and it's super hot i had a customer just actually (laughs) right on topic within the last couple days here i had a customer come in ask for this new uh train card game called shadowverse evolve yep and i looked it up never heard of it looked it up saw that i could order it told him i would order it for him so he put in a couple like special order for some boxes the order gets, uh, you know, shipped and everything's coming and uh, the distributor sells out or locks out the orders in that in the meantime. And while it's coming, I have three phone calls from three different people over like a course of two days of people asking, do I have Shadowverse? Can you get Shadowverse? After so many phone calls, I decide basically to give it a shot. But right. I kind of miss out on that initial launch, right? So with that and another one that comes to mind of more recently is one piece, right? The one piece mm-hmm. training card game. Like that one's been like the first couple sets have all been seemingly pretty red hot. And so now trying to come in later, does it keep, does it stay as hot as it's been or can it again with Yu-Gi-Oh! It's not just a matter of how hot it is, but can you tap into the market or let people know that you even have it is also kind of a challenge. Do you feel like your cautious approach has 
saved you over the years or do you feel like it's restricted you because of opportunities like you said uh you know starting with arcane rising first edition because i mean you're you're pointing out some missed opportunities but at the same time i can probably think of like five different trading card games that had a lot of hype and then died and probably would have been stuck holding a lot of dead product if uh if you did jump in tcgs will always be coming and going so it's that's where i'm just i kind of actually just weigh my losses on you know missing out on whatever the alpha boxes might be um but that is actually a question i still ask myself of what uh what i'm doing the best thing to be doing always kind of you know scaling onto the safer side it's an, and it's not just with new product it's with uh existing product as well like um you can still get a bad set I mean, we've had success with every flesh and blood set, but with like <laughs> picking on magic, it's not every set has been, you know, well received. Mm-hmm. And so I think my safe approach has saved me on some of those scenarios where I don't have a back room full of product that might take me three years to chew through. Has it saved me more than hurt me? That I do not know. I wonder all the time. Outside of the financial risk of picking up a new product, is there something else that you, I guess, consider? Um, you kind of mentioned earlier, like maybe losing a player base because uh, you did get into it enough or soon enough or something like uh, it, it's got to go somewhere on the shelves. Uh, so that means that you're taking out something else off the shelf and you're trying to pick up this new product. Is there you know, other risks outside of something like that that you consider before grabbing a new game? Yeah, definitely. Like for us, with just kind of the small entryway, we're kind of becoming a getting close to max capacity with that as well. It, so yeah, there's that kind of thought. I actually was just speaking with Sally uh, yesterday about Pokemon singles because we've never touched Pokemon singles, and I I know that's what he does uh, yeah. a lot of. So I was getting his take on that, but in the end, I kind of told him right now. One of the biggest things, like, you know, thanks for all the info. One of the biggest things uh, hurting us is just like, even if I wanted to jump into Pokemon singles, I'd need a new kind of display case. And where is that mm-hmm. display case going? But when it comes to new product too, like with Disney Lorcana coming out, it's not just, if you're going to support a game, the players don't want you to see you just buying like, oh, he brought in a couple booster boxes, right? Like if you're going to support the product with something like that, like generally they want, like the booster boxes the you know the gift sets the uh startup decks a lot of time the players are going to choose the store that actually like there's a difference between just having the product in and supporting the product right so if i just had a couple booster boxes of lorcana on the shelf but they're actually looking to play and they need like they want the starter decks they want the promo kits and stuff like that like they're gonna probably gravitate towards a store that is carrying the full line of product compared to the store that's just got the packs on the shelf and i think that also you know help choose with flesh and blood as well right and that's with running the events comes into play where you might be able to find a store that has flesh and blood but if they just have it on the back shelf collecting dust then it you know it might affect the player's decision of where to spend their money so switching back to fab um and you've you've spoken a lot now about how 
people have motivated you to pick up fab or other games and how you branched out there are listeners from around north america potentially in other places as well where they're looking for a place to play fab but they don't have a local game store that supports the game or their game or the store owner is reluctant to get into a game because magic is paying all the bills or another game i guess what advice would you have for players to try to to get their LGS on board? And at the same time, can you share, you know, maybe from an owner to owner perspective, what would what would you tell that LGS as well? In a small community, if it's just the one person, one of the biggest hindrances that Flesh and Blood has in Canada specifically is that uh, the distribution is very specific and kind of isolated, uh, being that the 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 uh, distributor that they use basically just carries a very limited amount of stuff. So uh, going back to my Shadowverse example, I didn't have to try to go open up a whole new account with a different distributor to bring in Shadowverse for that player. So that player asked for Shadowverse. I checked my already current distributor and I was able to just tack it onto an already coming order. Flesh Blood's a little bit trickier because you need to open a new account. And again, I'm not sure what it's like these days with print runs and stuff, but I remember when we first got in, like I got allocated one case of Tales First Edition. And then it also was kind of rough for shipping because Mm -hmm. when I order from my main distributor, I like to just load up with everything and they carry everything. I can get board games, uh, Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, puzzles uh you know escape room games sleeves accessories deck boxes binders everything in our store can come almost from one distributor whereas and so then the shipping cost is split amongst all the product where ordering for flesh and blood you're kind of stuck just ordering for flesh and blood and uh when you get allocated one case you're basically paying shipping on one case and you can't up it. And so unfortunately, Flesh and Blood is a little bit tougher to yeah. just have a store owner one, you know, bring in a couple booster boxes here and there just to test it out. It's kind of a bigger leap, which is unfortunate because I think that the game would benefit <laughs> if we could get it into more stores. Yeah, we've we've heard a few stories about some challenges with the distribution scheme in Canada and of course, it would be different in, in other places in the world. But I what I'm hearing is that uh, from the store owner's perspective, it's not as easy as just tacking on an extra case of something to an already existing order. And it's as simple as that uh, for a store to branch into a new product line. There's potential difficulties on the back end, like setting up these distributor accounts that, <laughs> to be honest, someone like me, I wouldn't even think about when when asking someone to to dabble into something, it could be a, a bigger ask than than it seems. How big of a community like would you need to go through that kind of pain? Like, did you say for Flesh and Blood you had to go through that pain to to get one case of tails? Like, how 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 big was the demand at the time that you could see to motivate you to to go through those additional hoops? 
Magic had really muddied the waters when it came to competitive play. And so we had a lot of kind of players that were interested in competitive play in TCGs in general. And one of the biggest things I heard about Flesh and Blood when I was deciding to bring it in was that there was a very clear path to, you know, pro tours and stuff like that if for people that were interested. And there was... Even when we first brought Flesh and Blood in, there was a big migration of Magic players over to Flesh and Blood that kind of, who knows if it was just the timing or if actually Flesh and Blood did spark something with Watsy. who knows? I have, I have no idea. But they did, uh, Watsy did put out and kind of clear up and fix the, you know, the magic, you know, path to uh, playing on the pro tour shortly after, you know, and it could have just been COVID clearing up, but before COVID and during COVID, uh, you ask any, a lot of magic players how to get to the pro tour. And I don't think they could tell you. Whereas yeah, flesh and blood made it a lot, a lot easier. And LSS, it was, that definitely seemed to be a big thing that they were going after was uh, the competitive scene. So with that and looking to kind of fill up extra nights during the week with the event, I decided to give it a shot because it was actually some of our magic players that were pushing for it. Is, is that competitive circuit important for you to see because it shows a level of commitment from the company that's making the game? Or do you know that that's just going to motivate the players in your area to, to support the game? Like what's, what's the big benefit of, of that? I think it just motivates the players to be out playing, trying to get singles for the top deck and keep up with the game as it evolves. Whereas if there's not that, you can still kind of, you know, check the websites and see what's good in in the any given meta of what's going on. But you kind of just showing up playing with, you're not gaining, you're not going towards anything. That's again, like I mentioned earlier with the XP points, I think that's, you know, that's a motivator. The armory prizing is a motivator. The the path to playing at nationals or wanting to go. I mean, with our community, a lot of players want to go because they don't want to be the odd man out, right? Like they don't, four of their friends are going to Montreal or wherever nationals is that year. They don't want to stay home. They want to, they want to be joining, joining in on the, on the fun, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. Thanks for that. Can you give us an uh, honest opinion if you had a friend that was an LGS owner in somewhere in North America and they were on the fence about adding fab to their store, would you recommend it? And I understand that you might have a biased opinion because of how fab came into your store, I guess, but um, you think the average store, um, is it something that you would recommend? Um, again, I'm probably just going to fade back to my community answer. It, I don't, but it's not just flesh and blood. I think it's anything. I wouldn't recommend them bring in magic if no one's asking for right. magic, the gathering, like that's where just kind of the benefit, like I said, of me being at the desk, I find is, uh, every day as I kind of get to chat and I enjoy chatting with all the players in the store, I can kind of keep my ear to the ground, but yeah, it's nothing against flesh and blood. It's just, you got to kind of 
I think you got to hear what the community is. So it doesn't even matter, you know, Pokemon, Magic, you want to call them the big three. I wouldn't even advise bringing those in uh, if the community doesn't want them because those are supposed to be the big three. But, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! is kind of dead in the water at my store, so. No. Thanks, and that's that's really good advice uh, in general. Um, so let's just move on to some fun questions before we bring things to a close here. Uh, what's your favorite moment or memory when it comes to being the owner of Dream Escape so far? It's probably every time when a player leaves in ex- the escape room saying that that was their favorite escape room ever. Or, And it's it's one thing if, you know, we're in Leduc where there was no escape room, so we actually get the benefit of introducing a lot of people to escape rooms. But uh, it feels pretty good when someone, like, takes a second to explain to me that they've done 50 escape rooms across, you know, all different countries and provinces, and they still think that that one was you know, one of their top or best rooms. So being that we're designing and building them, that it's, you know, it feels good to hear from, you know, feels good to know that what we're building is being uh, enjoyed. Is there one particular moment that stands out? Like, was there a little kid that jumped like six feet up in the air after he got a puzzle correct? Or is there any any singular moment that will put, put a good picture in my head? We've had two proposals, like wedding proposals that have been uh, both said yes. So that's a bonus. But uh, that was kind of a cool thing to kind of the husband or the, you know, the person proposing would come in like two days before and we'd come up with this game plan of where we're going to hide the ring. Because like one of our rooms is a, is a casino heist where you're robbing a diamond. Well, we replaced the fake diamond with the real diamond that we kind of came up with this plan to replace it with the real diamond so when she found it he was already on his knees behind her and so it was just kind of a cool moment to happen within the store that sounds pretty cool that's awesome have you ever looked into escape room conventions or seminars is that something that you have gone to or would go to or even considered yeah things that i should should be going to probably (laughs) I, i it's just finding the time off to go and i don't know Again, trapping myself. At the, I made my own prison, trapping myself at the store every day. Yep. So uh, I've always looked into it. There is actually kind of like a large escape room meeting that I think that happens every year in Toronto yeah. that I've just never gone to, which may or not may not be a good thing. Fair enough. Uh, I guess one final question. Uh, do you have a flesh and blood related moment that you would like to share? Um. Yeah, it's probably getting to host like the ProQuest or it, it was just cool to be chosen as the as the store to do that. Um, yeah, any give, uh, I don't know if there's a given moment. I just I think it's cool that we have so many players that are actually like top within Canada. Um, and even tonight's event that we put on for the draft, like we're trying to create a more competitive atmosphere or give some practice to some of the players going to nationals. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, not all of them could show up, but if, if we could get a, a date where everyone could show up, like we could, we have eight just in Edmonton alone, not like not including everyone from Calgary. So we could run a full pod if we wanted to. And if we could actually, if we could, uh, find a date and time that worked for everybody, 
which is it's just nice to say that we like those players play in my store type thing that they they're they're coming out they're playing i know from talking to some of them that they you know even i want to extend a thank you for you taking time out of you know your day to potentially shut down the store and give them the opportunity to practice i like you said you you trap yourself in a prison prison but you're there all the time and i know that you know, they're very thankful that that's something that you would do for them. And a lot of stores out there don't have that kind of connection with their player base. And, you know, myself and them, I know we definitely appreciate somebody like you in the community that would do that for them because you get basically zero gain out of it. Um, so it's nice to see that your involvement is obviously more than just financial based. So thank you for that. Are you going to feel proud if someone from Alberta uh, wins nationals? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not just, yeah, not just Edmonton area too. Cause I mean, you guys all support the store too, coming up with whenever we have a big event, you guys get the two, three or four vehicles, all carpooling up here. So yeah, when it comes to like those bigger events, it's, it's, it's nice to have that uh, battle of Alberta happening mm-hmm. all the time in the, <laughs> within the stores. Yeah. One of these days I'll have to, uh, find a way to come down there play play in an event sure we'd love to have you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well we're about to wrap things up here travis thank you so much for all of your thoughtful answers do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up no just uh thanks for having me out no problem um if people wanted to reach out to you what would be the best way or multiple ways to reach out to you we're pretty much Dream Escape Gaming on everything. So Instagram, Dream Escape Gaming, Facebook, Dream Escape Gaming. We have a Discord that I think you can find through the socials. But again, messaging any of those socials is basically like messaging me. So uh, I like to joke around that I have a 24-hour uh, drive through window. Some of the players... <laughs> will uh, message me at like midnight with a with a stock request and they're shocked when i reply to them yeah <laughs> okay well thank you so much for joining us you can reach us at ip2 podcast on youtube ip2 podcast on twitter and ip2 podcast at wraith.social at mastodon thank you I mean, Adam is also a, a paramedic or uh, something like that. Did you know him before in some way? That was that was a very, hey, you're Canadian. I know Mike from Toronto question there, Felix. <laughs> okay, look, <laughs> at least from the same geographical region. Like, give, give me a break here. <laughs>